Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where today we're going to spend the whole podcast with a good friend and a, a tremendous newsmaker, Governor Bobby Jindal, the former governor of Louisiana, one of the newest uh, leaders in the America First Policy Institute, the think tank that is committed to developing out the Trump um, uh, ideas and Trump policies for all of America to put America first. The governor is one of the Republican Party's brightest thinkers, one of its most articulate speakers, and he is taking on a new role as chairman of the Health Policy, Healthy America Institute within the AFPI. This is a big moment for the Republican Party, big for AFPI, where we have a lot of their folks on. And we're going to spend the whole time on this podcast today with Governor Jindal. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, our exclusive interview with Governor Bobby Jindal, former governor of Louisiana and the new chairman of the Healthy America Institute at the America First Policy Institute. We'll be right back. You're not going to want to miss this interview. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, the former governor of Louisiana, the current chairman of the Center for a Healthy America at the America First Policy Institute, the one and only Bobby Jindal. Governor Jindal, great to have you on. John, it's so great to be talking to you again. Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, I was just saying this before to you. Thank you so much for what you do to get conservative news and conservative views out there. If these kinds of podcasts and other sources of information didn't exist, we'd have to create them. So thank you for what you're doing every day. 
Oh, it's an honor. I love what I do. I hardly believe I get paid for it. I have so much fun doing it. It is a lot of fun. It's great. I um, I was thumbing through the papers the other day and saw this amazing op-ed, and it took on two of your favorite subjects, education and healthcare, and you put it together. And I, I just thought, you know, I know so many parents that are angry and frustrated at what's going on in college campuses, and whether it's cancel culture or just silly theories being taught or just the exorbitant price that you know, disenfranchises a lot of people from getting a higher education. Uh, what higher ed can learn from hospitals? One of my favorite op-eds of the month. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you were getting at in this in this incredible article. Sure. Well, thank you for that. You know, look, COVID has caused such a disruption in the economy and so many people's lives. And ironically, the healthcare systems have been more aggressive at adopting to that than higher ed. Higher ed, there's such a sense of entitlement at so many of our college campuses. They haven't adopted new technologies. As you noted, they keep increasing their tuition prices. And if they don't get with it, if they don't understand the the revolution that's coming in distance learning, if they don't understand the the new entrants that are competing for their students and and their tuition dollars, if they don't understand they've got to do a better job of serving both students and employers and other constituents, I think you're going to have many institutions that will either close or have to be forcibly merged with others. Now, look, the, the large public institutions, the small, private, elite, well-endowed institutions, right. they're going to be fine, but there are a lot of institutions in between that are truly struggling. But, Johnny, you, you know, let's take a step back from that. You said something that just resonates with me that's so important, and, and I couldn't leave this to, you know, topic without, without talking about this for a minute. You talked about cancel culture. You think about the original purpose of a university. The original reason we send our sons and daughters off to colleges to go and learn, part of it is so they can open their minds, they can be exposed to different ideas, they can learn rigorous ways of thinking, they can be challenged in their, in their views and their perspectives, they can learn how to think for themselves as they become adults, they go out in the workforce, and they become truly leaders in our country, and they, and they, they take over for us. Well, you think about what's happening on college campuses today with the speech codes, the safe spaces, yeah. the, the ideological you know, uh, conformity all to the left, never to the right. You think about what's happening, and it really – it should be – not only should high tuition prices offend parents, but this kind of just group thinking that's happening on our college campus, the suppression of free thought, that should really be alarming for every one of us. It is. And it's funny. when I go places, you know, we want, people want to talk about inflation. They want to talk about what's going on in Washington. But this issue of higher education becoming an indoctrination ground and not an education ground really is something that's on so many people's minds and not just conservatives. I hear from, you know, people who self-identify as independents and even some liberals who aren't you know, to the far left of their party, but traditional liberals who think, boy, some of the stuff we're teaching our kids right now is crazy. What are we doing? You always have argued in the free market that competition is such an important part of getting a healthy ecosystem. Uh, You mentioned in the article some of the early new experiments in in higher education. Do you think there's a moment for a market challenge to some of these education institutions, new, uh, cheaper, smarter, less indoctrinating, more educative institutions coming on and taking on the big boys of education? Absolutely. And you're already beginning to see it happen. And, and John, it you know, really started in K-12. It really started yep. where you had voucher programs, you had charter schools, you had homeschooling, and COVID exacerbated that. I think a lot of parents are taking that same mentality to higher ed. A lot of students are taking that same mentality, saying, 
wow, we're paying a lot of money. What are we really getting for this? You know, is this really going to allow me to get a good paying job when I graduate? Is this amount of debt, is this really a good investment? Is this a really good way to spend my time? And, and so I think you are seeing these new entrants. Some of them mix a hybrid of online and in-person instruction. Some of them have a more kind of a skills orientation where it's a competency-based approach to education, where they, they teach folks in partnership with apprenticeships and, and employers and, and other practical learning environments. And, and so I do think you're going to see, and I think if higher ed's not if, if they're not responsive to these consumer changes, again, I think you're going to see a lot of these schools that are trying to be all things to all people, and no institution can afford to do that anymore. Even these elite schools with billions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars in endowments, they can't afford to be all things to all people. They've got to pick what they want to be excellent at. They have to pick what's going to be consistent with their mission. But I really also think they need to go back to why they were founded in the first place. And it really was for the search for truth. And as long as you've got tenure decisions being based on, on politi uh, political decisions, not merit, as long as students don't feel safe raising their hands. And can you imagine, you know, is, I've got kids that are, are nearing that age. I've got one child in college, two children that, that will soon be in college. Can you imagine if, if they go into a classroom and feel like, well, I can't raise my hand and I can't espouse traditional family values. I can't speak up for limited government. I can't speak up for free enterprise. I really do think you'll see many more students and parents voting with their feet and shifting away their tuition dollars. You know, we've seen that this Project 1619 and how they're trying to infect uh, our K-12 curricula. Just imagine as that spreads throughout higher education. You know, if all of a sudden you've got these universities no longer teaching about American exceptionalism or free enterprise or, or the merits of democracy, I do think there'll be a reaction, and a severe reaction to that. It is just remarkable. And one of the things that has been subtle but consistent funders of these universities is the National Institutes for Health and all these grants that go to universities for research. And people look at some of the grants and they're like, why am I studying whether Tai Chi is good in Mexico <laughs> for senior citizens who don't live in America? And so they see these, you know, these are real projects that come out and you go, and you know, every year there's a waste book that some smart congressman put out and you go, why are we giving these grants? Is there a moment if, if Republicans can get control of the purse strings again to go in and tighten up some of the ridiculous funding that goes to these universities that don't really bring any value to, to American taxpayers? Well, there has to be. And we have to remind folks those tax dollars, they're not free. I mean, they come from oh. working families across America. Why are we subsidizing? And you're being very kind. Some of this research is just <laughs> beyond ridiculous. You yep. read some of these studies and think that why would anybody spend their money, much less taxpayer dollars? But here's the, here's the dirty little secret. You just hit it on the, on the head, which is the reason these colleges continue to do so well, the reason they so far have been immune from market pressures is you've got a conspiracy of the elites. And this is a real, real problem in America. You've got this permanent political class that feels like they're entitled to govern the rest of us. They don't want term limits. They don't want regular Americans coming and running for office. They just feel like they're the experts. They're the elites. They're the ones that should tell us how to run our lives. And by the way, they want to pass laws that don't apply to them. There's one set of rules for them. There's yeah. another set of rules for the rest of us. Well, they conspire with their friends in the editorial boards and in the newsrooms of most mainstream media, which is why your project is so important. And they conspire with the folks that create content in our entertainment capitals, in Hollywood and other places, and they also conspire with these faculty lounges. And you've got this separate class of people that feels like, again, they're better than the rest of us, and they have their own sets of values and ideas that aren't consistent with the way we live our lives. And so they protect each other. And so that's why you've got this guaranteed funding, the federal funding. You know, a lot of that funding that is done on the behalf of students 
actually actually benefits these folks in this higher education industry. Yep. You think about all this funding that's gone to hiring administrators, and you know it, it's all gone in the name of political correctness and departments of wokeness. It's not going into cutting edge, uh, not all of it. I mean, some of it uh, is not going into cutting edge technological research to keep us ahead of China. You know, it, it's instead hiring the hundredth dean of diversity and gender inclusion and et cetera, et cetera. And you think, at what point do we say enough is enough? And I, I do think we're reaching that tipping point. But make, you know, you've got to make certain, you've got to be absolutely guaranteed that the, the elite liberals, they're going to fight hard to protect their, yeah, their little enclaves. They spent a lot of money building them. Now they're going to protect them. It's pretty remarkable. So you had some really important points here, right? That edu- higher education can learn. Consolidation is one of them. I, one of the things I thought was most important in the article, the idea of price and quality transparency, just letting parents really see what they're getting for their tuition, for their learning. Uh, do you think uh, universities have a motive to do that? And are they making some progress in creating quality and price transparency? You know, you've got, and again, the governors, I'm biased. I tend to think the governors are better at leading the way on this. You've got some aggressive governors in red states, like in Texas and Florida, that have led the way. And it started, uh, you know, certainly Governors DeSantis and Abbott are are building on this, but it started with Rick Perry and Rick Scott before them. When they were governors in those states, things like uh, not only tuition transparency, but they, they they actually competed to say, all right, can we have students graduate for a reasonable amount of money, and they would compete to offer more affordable uh, degree programs. And so I think at the state level, especially at our public universities, we should insist on that kind of transparency. Parents should know, students should know ahead of time, how much is this going to cost me? What am I going to get for this? Am I really employable? You know, or if I get a degree in some made-up you know, major, am I going to be better off? Will yeah. I be able to actually earn more money than before I started college, or am I just going to end up with a bunch of student debt in a minimum wage job somewhere, you know, not able to pay off these loans? And so I think, it's, I think that kind of transparency, the, the kind of transparency on outcomes, you know, I'll give you a short example here. In the state of Louisiana, we've got, we had some schools, and we continue to have some schools whose retention and graduation rates were abysmal. I was the head of the Louisiana University of Louisiana system, and then as governor, I pushed really hard to say, if the schools aren't performing, maybe we should merge them. And, if, and for the schools that are here, let's have, let's have not only more transparency, but let's make their funding tied to their performance. And if the students aren't doing well, why are we putting more money in the schools that are struggling to serve their yeah. students? It really comes back to who, who are you serving? You're not serving the adults. You're not serving the, the faculty. You're not serving the administrators. These schools are built to serve their students and their communities, and we need to remember that. Yeah, such an important thing. And demanding accountability, return on investment is something that the education system, particularly higher education, could, could really benefit from. And you always employed that. And when you managed your state in Louisiana, you always had those sort of measures of performance that so often seem to be foreign to educators in, in the higher education institutions. I want to pivot for a second and, and talk about your new role at America First. Uh, it's growing and having such influence across the country. Tell us a little bit about what you're going to be doing in healthcare policy and how people can follow the work you're going to be doing there. Well, look, I'm just honored to be the, the chairman of the Center for Healthy America. It is important work. And you look at it, look, we're certainly playing defense in D.C. right now. Senator Sanders sure. wants to spend a trillion dollars 
a trillion dollars. He used to joke about a billion dollars of real money in D.C. Now he yeah. wants to spend a trillion dollars moving closer towards his dream of socialism and health care. You know, everything from expanding, creating Medicaid-like coverage in, in the 12 states that did not expand Medicaid under Obamacare. Uh, the, he wants to put even more people in a government-run health care programs. He, he wants to have less of a role for private insurance, employer-provided coverage, or individual-bought coverage. And it's not just there. You know, he certainly he wants to tax. He wants to borrow. They want to dictate the prices. Uh, you know, for procedures, for for new devices, for prescription drugs, in a way that'll result in less innovation, fewer life-saving treatments, and, and innovations. But it's also it's not just playing defense at the federal level. It's also showing we've got real conservative solutions that empower patients, that lower the cost of health care yeah. at the state level, for example, advancing legislation, things like telehealth, allowing you to, to access doctors and providers across state lines, giving you price transparency, as you mentioned, so that you know how much health care actually should cost, giving you access to lower-cost plans, maybe offered through the Farm Bureau like they do in Tennessee or, or through association health plans like they do in other states, giving people real solutions to lower their cost of health care without needing a one-size-fits-all government solution. And so I, I'm excited to work with these fellow conservatives to show that conservatives have real solutions to health care. We have real ideas. The left, all they want to do is expand government control, raise taxes, borrow more money from China, spend more money. They never actually lower health care spending. They don't actually put the patients in control. They put government bureaucrats in control. And we're going to show America there's a better way. That's such an important point to have, that alternative uh, that goes head-to-head, because on performance, while, while the Democrats own the issue in terms of amount of attention they get from the media, the performance of their programs really haven't delivered the, the promise that they've had. You've seen the multi-employer health programs constantly going up in expensive cost rates because of Obamacare. Uh, do you think Republicans going into 2022 have to have that alternative plan? And uh, do you think they're ready to go fight that fight and not see the ground like they have in years past on, on health care? Absolutely. Look, every poll shows, polls after polls show that yep. health care is one of the top priorities for American voters. There's an old saying in D.C., you can't beat something with nothing. And the Democrats and their, their media allies did a great job of trying to scare the American people, saying, oh, these scary Republicans, they're going to try to repeal Obamacare. People with pre-existing conditions aren't going to have health care. People are going to be dying in the streets. It's all nonsense. And Republicans have to be willing to have the courage of our convictions to stand up and say, Obamacare was not the right answer to America's problems. Now, we're not arguing to go back to what there was before. The American health care system had real challenges, but we have conservative solutions that truly protect people with pre-existing conditions, truly harness the force of competition and bring down prices. Look, the left has lied for years. You remember the, the famous lies that if you liked your plan, you could keep, keep your plan. Right. If you liked your doctor, yeah. you could keep your doctor. He promised that he was going to cut premiums in half. Those, those things just didn't happen. You know, the, the reality is premiums didn't go down. You know, I don't know if he said in half. He said he would reduce premiums. Those things didn't happen. Premiums went up, not down. People, millions of Americans weren't allowed to keep their health plans or their doctors. Conservatives have better ideas. But, yes, we absolutely we can't run away from this. We can't, you know, we can't just concede this important issue to the left. We can't simply stop fighting against Obamacare. But we have to present specific ideas, and America First, the Center for Healthy America, is going to be a big part of that. We're writing policies. We're working with anybody, that, any conservative that wants to work with us. We're, we're providing specific ideas about how conservatives can win on health care. 
such an important way. When Republicans win, they always win with ideas. That's that is the key, and and uh, it seems like uh, everything that's going on in America first, and now what you'll be doing will be adding to the the great ideas that can be shared uh, in the country this coming election. I do, last question. I want to step back because we're, we're living in this extraordinary moment. We've touched on cancel culture a little bit. You've got you know uh, a vaccine mandate. You've got all sorts of censorship going on up and down institutions that have either government benefits such as the two thirty protection for the social companies. You've got all this moment where everything big seems to be infringing on the little guy's liberty. And I'm curious, as you look out, are the next three to four years, these next two elections, a real bellwether for what type of America we're going to be living in going forward? They are. You know, look, for the last four, eight years, at least, I, you know, I, I've been saying this is the most important election of my lifetime. And I right. meant it every time. And it, it, the stakes get higher and higher. And I'm a complete optimist about America. I think our best days are ahead of us. You know, I think we have to take China seriously. Yeah. We have to stop Iran from becoming a nuclear-armed regime. I think we need to stand with Israel. But I don't fear any country abroad. I think our biggest challenges are right here at home. And I look at things like this, this critical race theory. I look at things like the defund the police movement. I look at the project, you know, 1619. I look at all these movements, and these are all, what all these movements have in common is they don't believe in American exceptionalism. They don't believe in freedom. They don't believe in limited government. They don't believe in an aspirational society. What I love about America is that any individual, no matter what your last name is, no matter what your race is, no matter what your gender, you know, no matter where you come from, if you're willing to work hard, if you're willing to embrace these American ideals of freedom for all and religious liberty, you can do great things. There, there's no limit on what you can accomplish in this great country. And the left no longer believes that. You know, there was a time when we just disagreed with the left. They wanted to spend more and tax more. And, and you could have reasonable disagreements. Today's left, when you look at AOC, when you look at Bernie Sanders, when you look at so much of who controls the, the liberal movement in this country, has really gone crazy. And it really, there really is this fundamental rejection of the American dream, this fundamental rejection of, of what we stand for, what we believe. And so I think these elections are critical, and even as critical is this debate. And conservatives, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're political or not, it doesn't matter whether you're, you, know, you, you normally pay attention to politics, we all have a vested interest in this debate and the future of our country. And again, I'm an optimist. I still think our best days are ahead of us. I think like every generation before us, we will choose freedom for ourselves and for our children, but it's not inevitable. And it's up to every one of us to pay attention and to push back. And so when they tell us that, hey, we're going to cancel you, or you're not allowed to say that, you're not allowed to believe that, or you're going to be forced to do that, it's up to every one of us to show up, you know, go to the school board meeting and say, no, our kids have a right to in-person instruction, you know, and enough's enough. You show up at the, the local ballot box, go and recall the governor of California, go and elect conservative, solid conservative men and women in your midterm elections. It's up to all of us to do our part to say, we still believe in what has made America great, and we still believe, that, as Reagan so famously said, you know, this is still the shining city on a hill. This is still a country with an unlimited future. We're still a young nation at heart. Yeah, and the threat from within, getting our own house in order, getting our freedoms back, is seems to be the epic battle that we face, right? Even more than the foreign pressures that we face. Is that is that how you see it? Absolutely. And look, the left is all into condemnation. They're all yep. into silencing us. You're right. When we win, it's because we have ideas. Let's, let's be the party of persuasion. Let's be the party of optimism. Uh, and let's not write off any group. I don't care if they're young gr- voters or uh, uh, minority voters or suburban voters or rural voters or urban voters. I think the pundits will try to tell you, oh, look, you know, demographics is destiny. That's nonsense. 
I think every single voter, we, we should be trying to convert and persuade every single mind out there. Every single one of them is a future conservative. And I think with that, that perspective, we can absolutely win this debate. Margaret Thatcher said that, you know, and, and others have said it as well, you know, before you win the election, you have to win the debate. And that's where we are today. Let's go win the debate of ideas. Let's show the American people that freedom wins, that, that our ideas are better, and we trust the American people. We don't believe in a top-down approach where the political elite get to tell us how to run our lives. We believe in the wisdom of the American people. What an awful idea, believing in the wisdom of the American people. That, that's a winning message. I'm certain of it. Well, Governor, thank you so much. First of all, congratulations on, on working with America First. That's going to be such a great partnership for both sides. And I think we're going to learn a lot and get some great ideas. And thank you also for coming on and talking and sharing these great ideas with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I always enjoy, enjoy talking to you. God bless you and your, your listeners out there. And again, uh, America, I, I would just close with this thought. We live in the, we're blessed to live in the greatest nation in the world. Given all of our problems and all of our challenges, I still wouldn't trade places with anybody else. <laughs> that is for sure. Absolutely. Well, Governor, thanks again. And we look forward to getting you back on the show soon. Thanks, John. Thank you, sir. Okay, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon. A lot to think about in what the governor said. His optimism was always infectious. Whether you're a Democrat or Republican, his love for America, his recognition that even on our worst day, America is better than any other country, his commitment to ideas over rhetoric and fighting, all of those things are such important weapons in the America we all want to build together, regardless of our political stripe. And I think Governor Jindal captured so much of that today, plus some really great advice about education and higher education, time for competition in the higher education space. I think a lot of Americans agree with that as they look at the cost of their tuitions and the and the quality of educations they are or aren't getting for their children, grandchildren. A great conversation there. And of course, a strong reminder that in 2022, both parties are going to need to have strong healthcare policies because Americans are looking for solutions, not recriminations. And of course, the governor covered that really well. We're so grateful you joined us. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports. Stay tuned. Some breaking news coming up on Just the News tomorrow. I think you'll enjoy it. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you and may God bless this amazing country, the United States of America, as he always has. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News.